Hey, guess what? Today is the day. Today is Monday, April 4th, and I'm kicking off a brand new webinar. Here's the thing, though. I'm only giving this webinar twice. Today, Monday, April 4th, and in two days from now on Wednesday, April 6th. That's it. That's all you have to catch this webinar. Webinar is totally free. What's the webinar about? It's about restaurant profitability. It's about turning your restaurant around. So I've spent my entire adult life, 22 years working in restaurants. I now work as a consultant and a coach with uh, operators all over the country to help them build more profitable businesses. And there's a lot of things that I do, but what I'm gonna do for this webinar is pack it all in. What I get asked all the time is, yeah, it's great, you work with all these companies and, and your work sometimes takes a long time. How do you make a quick change? How can I make the biggest impact possible in the shortest time possible? So I put it together. I sat and I thought, hey, how could you turn your restaurant around in eight weeks, right? Two months. Could you turn your restaurant around from in two months, right? From a failing restaurant uh, to a successful one, from uh, one that's operating at a break-even point to one that's got double-digit profit margins or greater. So that's what I'm doing. I'm giving this webinar. I'm showing you eight different areas. If you tackled a different area each week for eight weeks, right? Could you turn your restaurant around in two months? I promise you, you can. I'm gonna show you exactly what to do. I'm literally giving the blueprint away. To join, visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash webinar. Sign up for the webinar today or on Wednesday. It's your last shot to do it. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash webinar. And make sure not go anywhere. Today, I'm sitting down with Mike Hewitt. Mike is the founder of One House. It's a recruiter, right? So he's a headhunter. He works in the restaurant industry, placing managers, chefs, all kinds of staff. I felt like he would uh, he would have a unique perspective, especially as we deal with this staffing crunch right now. How do you uh, build your staff? How do you train that staff how do you retain that staff he's got all the secrets so go sign up for the webinar and make sure to come back for this conversation today there's an old saying goes something like this you'll only find three kinds of people in the world those who see those who will never see and those who can see when shown this is restaurant strategy a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast all about helping chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. Each week we toggle back and forth between a monologue style format and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take complicated marketing concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, this week's episode is sponsored by Virtual Restaurant Group, VRG. They offer innovative turnkey delivery-only brands that you're able to easily operate out of your existing restaurant with very little disruption to your current operation. So we're talking ghost kitchens, right? A, a restaurant that would only be visible on third-party delivery sites as a way of driving additional revenue using the infrastructure you've already got. By adding virtual brands into your business model, you're able to diversify your revenue streams and, in the end, generate more revenue. So you've already got a kitchen, right? A staff, the space to do this. Why not maximize your square footage by adding additional brands to help you increase your bottom line? Best of all, VRG handles everything on the back end. They provide Cubo technology totally free. The very architecture of this software allows you to turn on as many brands as you want, list those brands on as many partner sites as you want, and field all of the orders through one singular tablet and printer. 
You're not locked into any long contracts. It's 100% free to start. VRG's flagship brand, it's called Midnight Munchies. It was one of LA's very first ghost kitchen concepts uh, and generate up to $30,000 a month just in online ordering revenue. Onboarding is super easy with recipe guides and step-by-step training for you and for your staff. Visit virtualrestaurantgroup.com slash chip and use the promo code chip2021 to get started. That link is in the show notes. So my guest on today's show is Mike Hewitt. He's the founder and CEO of a company called One House Recruitment. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. My pleasure. So it's been a crazy stretch, right? We're now two years into the pandemic uh, and uh, certainly over the last year, 2021, and now stretching into 2022, um, staffing is a real big issue, which is uh, specifically why I wanted to chat with you um, about more than just the staffing crunch, but I figure that's a good place to start. Um, Tell me about what's been going on these last several months. Well, you're absolutely right. It has been a bit of a reset button in our industry. The first thing I'd like to say is, hey, we're still here, right? And uh, unfortunately, that's not the case with a lot of other agencies or even, you know, third-party operators and and service providers, right, that didn't make it through the crunch of 2020. Uh, Whoever did and had a little bit of gas in the tank uh, most likely is doing well in 2021 and then obviously this year, 2022. So it's really about clinching, you know, making sure that we have everything, uh, you know, under control to really get out of this pandemic and be able to assist and help our community the best way possible. So let me let me give you a chance to talk about what is One House? Why did you found it? What what is it that you guys do? Yeah. So One House is uh, recruiting for hospitality, right? We wanted to kind of take away that blurred line of back of the house, front of the house, kind of turn it into one house, everything under one roof, and really be able to provide uh, recruiting services and advisory uh, talent and staffing, pretty much everything under that scope from coast to coast, right? We don't discriminate on sector, uh, as far as you know, three-star Michelin, all the way down to a mom and pop from California to New York, it doesn't matter, right? We really start the process like can we actually help this client can we make it happen versus you know if it's you know a star-studded restaurant group or something that is very you know bells and whistles and things like that we really care about you know assisting any way we can uh, so that's the first question we ask can we actually help can we source talent for them and then that's uh that's where we start so how does a relationship t- typically begin? You know, somebody realizes they got a problem, they call you, or somebody says, hey, you got to talk to these guys over there. T- talk to me about how the relationship sure. begins. Usually it starts when an operator, a restaurateur, maybe someone in charge, right? Maybe HR director or director of operations. Those are usually our touch points. They realize that they need help and they can't find it themselves. Most likely they've already tried on their own, they placed ads, they went through their network. When they're reaching us or an agency like us, usually means, hey, I can't do this on my own, I need a pro, I need someone that has those deep contacts, that knows you know, the strategy of how to find people expeditiously and, and, and obviously vet them correctly, right? Culture fit, uh, skill set fit, things like that, right? So that's usually where it starts. And they reach out to us. We've been blessed with a lot of uh, word of mouth referrals. And that's, um, you know, we're really proud of that at One House, right? Uh, Yes, we do some social media marketing, but honestly, a lot of our business comes from past clients or even current clients, people that we place 
um, whether it's six months ago or three years ago, now they're in a position of power. They need uh, to find staff and they come to us. So we, I'd like to think we're creating little mini one house ambassadors, right? Every time we're touching, you know, a, a relationship. Absolutely. And it's, uh, that's what we're all about. It's just about a long-term relationship building versus transactional Hey, I need something desperate right now, right? You clobber them over the head with a fee and then you never hear from them again. We're trying to do uh, the opposite of that. It's so much of what we try to do in restaurants. And and I think at, at, at best we can do that, right? We're building relationships and creating, I always say we're creating ambassadors and evangelists for the brands. Um, and at worst we can be reduced down to sort of a, a transactional relationship. Um, and I think yeah. that's the... Um, the key breaking point for any uh, for any industry. Okay, so, uh, so somebody calls you and say, "Hey, we, we need help. We can't." And, and obviously, yeah. that's that's probably happened a lot in the last year. So, talk to me a little bit about how this past year has gone. And I guess I'm curious to know how it's been different than previous because this company's been around for a while. Yeah, I think that there obviously there's been a lot of stop and go right with Omicron and things like that. I, you know, needless to say, 2020 was a disaster for everybody in the industry. A lot of people didn't come out of it, right? A lot of restaurants just died there. A lot of our client base that we had worked with for years and developed relationships with disappeared, right? Whether the restaurant totally closed or the restaurant continued, but they terminated everyone there. So it was like a, a clean slate, right? It was a bunch of new people that didn't know us. We didn't know them, but we had this prior relationship with the restaurant. So it was, it's been interesting to kind of rehash or restart new relationships and um, and still provide the services that we do, right? Obviously, uh, we could talk about that probably a little later as far as where all the talent went, right? A lot of them just disappeared. They moved on to other sectors. But when it comes to decision makers, yeah, they're, they're struggling. During COVID, we had to really uh, tighten up, um, make a lot of concessions, right? It was in the best interest for us that a restaurant survives, right? That is basically our clientele. So we want them to do well. We want We know what you know, uh, recruiting dollars mean on a PL and we want to help them. So we had reduced fees, flat fee structures, you name it, right? To really be sustainable and help them when they mostly needed it. We did see it was interesting how other agencies out there were taking advantage of that and actually raising their prices, right? Like, oh, now you need us more. Well, now I'm going to, you know, hit you over the head. Yeah. I don't know. A little short-sighted business model there we really went the opposite route hey i want you to remember us when things do get better which is 2021 and i think the proof is in the pudding for us yeah it's so funny it's i was i think of uh, simon sinek's book that he wrote called the infinite game is that you know when you when you play football when you play baseball it's a finite game there are rules there are boundaries and there's a beginning and an end at the end we will determine a winner um but in business and in life, so much of what we do is an infinite game and really gets to the to the heart of that. Um, I think you you really put it yeah. so succinctly. We, <laughs> If you put everybody out of business, you've got no business left on the backside. Exactly. It's really not in our interest to, you know, to, you know, for clients that are struggling already just to survive to hit them with like sticker shock, right? The whole point is let's help you survive. Let's help each other, right? You're also obviously giving us business. If there is an interest in our side, obviously, to close deals, right? There's going to be much smaller commissions, but that's fine. We're going to survive. And when things get better, we're going to go back to the old school, right? Our, our fee structures and, and go back to the way we were doing business. And like I said, I mean, we've been very blessed uh, that we survived. We came out stronger. Our clients remembered what we did for them, and they've uh, doubled up with us as far as loyalty, as far as referring them 
uh, referring us to other potential clients. So that has been a, a good thing for us. Uh, piggybacking with what you said before, obviously it's not a, an end game, right? Where there's a start and a finish. I always uh, tell the team, this is like surfing, right? And you want to catch sets of waves and you might miss one set, but you have to stay, you know, stay put, wait for that next wave to come and continue, right? And that's also never ending. You're continuously getting these swells, right? Coming and going. And that's really our business, right? It's uh, it's a roller coaster. It's another analogy, I guess. Uh, you have to kind of go with the ups and downs, but it, there's really no end to it, yeah. right? Our industry yeah. isn't going anywhere. Uh, I agreed. People get hungry three times a day, thereabouts, and so... It goes on, and yeah. it goes on and on and on. Um, you uh, you brought up something that I very much wanted to talk about, which is let's talk about uh, the people in our industry. And uh, they went away, and this has not been surprising to me. Um, mm-hmm. And now I don't have a restaurant. I work as a consultant and a coach, so I'm I'm sort of on the outside looking in, but I'm I'm peeking behind the curtain at a bunch of different restaurants. This didn't surprise me, and it seemed to have surprised a lot of people. Talk to me about your perspective. Where did the people go? Did this surprise you? And how do we move forward? Absolutely. Um, you know, this is what we saw, right? And and the beauty, I guess, of our structure is that we are coast to coast. We're not in one centralized office, right? I, on purpose, right? This is a, a, a structure that we created um, as a strategy, right? To be boots on the ground in as many territories as we can to really have our pulse on what's going on there. Like I mentioned before, we'll be doing a three-star Michelin, you know, top, you know, hundred restaurant in the world type of em- environment or restaurant. And then we'll be working with a mom and pop. So we're hearing a lot of different gossip, right? As far as uh, staffing from all different sides, the short end of it is on the lower end, your, you know, your sous chef positions, your floor managers, Kind of on the lower end and definitely on the hourly that's where we saw a lot of attrition that's where we saw a lot of people that maybe were newer to the industry maybe weren't as vested or invested in the industry and as soon as the proverbial stuff hit the fan you know they ran for the hills and justifiably so right they started looking for another career another way out another way to pay bills totally get it on the higher end you know your executive chef levels your gms your director of ops corporate they maybe had a little bit of a cushion, right? They had a little bit of a financial cushion to hang out and see what happens. And also they were vested. This is their career. Where are they going to go now, right? They're not going to just do a 180 and become lawyers or, you know, do, do something else. So, so we saw a lot of that happen. And that's where, you know, before COVID, everyone was crying about, you know, no sous chefs anywhere. And find a decent floor manager. People aren't even showing up to interviews, things like that, right? We've heard it all. Imagine with COVID, imagine now losing 20, 30% of that workforce and still having to, you know, fill those positions, right? The restaurant, the show must go on, right? They have to find people. So when we talk about the personnel, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think people left when, when they realized that their skill set could translate to another industry, um, another sector. It was like, yeah, let's just go do that. Wait, I can go do this. I can go manage whatever and I get benefits. I get PTO. I get, you know... Yeah. All of these things, um, what what drives me crazy a little bit, lovingly, and, and again, I, I I host this podcast every week so that we can have honest conversations with operators. That's the that's the audience: chefs, operators, restaurant owners, and you know, mm-hmm. I lovingly have these conversations. But like, 
that's not changing. Like until we change what we offer, right? That that work life balance is more important to the yeah. next generation uh, than ever before. Um, you know, in some of these securities and protections, uh, which up until uh, up until recently we haven't really ever brokered that conversation. Yeah, I had plenty of jobs that you know I've been in the industry for twenty two years. Plenty of jobs where I got no health insurance. I, I don't. I worked for very few companies where I had a four hundred one k, let alone a match. And so, yeah. this is now part of the conversation. How do we? How do we have that conversation, or how are your clients starting to to bridge that conversation yeah. about what employees actually want? Well, that's a good uh, good point. I would say that first of all, what COVID did was accelerated what was already happening. Right, that whole culture of hey, if you're not working 13 hours, you're you know you're a lazy bum, uh, and you know the, the totally unsustainable lifestyles that people were living in the restaurants. And and again, I come from that, so that's the impetus of me opening up this agency was that I hadn't seen my six month old daughter right in, in like weeks at a time, right? Because I was working crazy shifts. So I know what that's like and, and the feeling of missing out and feeling like you're getting taken advantage of, right? And, and to some regards that I think COVID definitely squashed a little bit of that, right? I think that it now being such a candidate workforce right now, it's definitely a market that's leaning towards the job seeker, the candidate. That, that uh, employees, right, the clients now have to restructure and figure out, okay, what do I need to do to retain people? What do I do to make their quality of life better? Uh, career progression, perks. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go overboard, right? You're not going to turn your restaurant into some kind of Google workspace with all sorts of free things and slides. And, you know, it's really about, okay, what is important for these employees? Um, how do I treat them with respect and dignity? Give them that progression where they feel like they can move up, and um, and and then they have enough time to spend time with their loved ones, etc. Right? A lot of us were forced to just stay home for all that time, right? And people came out of there with different expectations of what life could be like. Now, restaurants are different than an office space, right? Where a lot of people said, you know what? I'm just going to keep working from home. I'll take a pay cut, but I'll work from home in my PJs. Obviously, that doesn't work in restaurants. But that whole expectation of six days a week slaving away behind the stove, that's not happening anymore. And, you know, our job, part of our job is to communicate that when we're talking to clients. And if they still have those old school expectations of what an employee is going to do, we're there as a, as a cushion or as a buffer to, to remind them, you know, this is a five day a week work week, right? You, they're now working 14 hour shifts, right? These people, you know, have a life and you want to make sure that they don't burn out. Uh, so it is. We've had those tough conversations in the last year, coming out of COVID. Yeah. So talk to talk to me a little bit more about that, if you can go into greater depth, because I really want to know. I always I always joke around. I say, you know, culture isn't. You know, culture doesn't happen by sitting around in the room saying, "Hey guys, we need better culture," <laughs> which is how ninety percent of companies do that, right? Hey guys, we need more teamwork. Right? We talked about yeah. teamwork in the pre-shift meeting. You know, it, it start. You know. It, it starts by, you know, weaving it into the day to day. So, you know, we could sit around and say, you know, hey, people, people need more, want more. And, and I come, I come from the same industry that you did, meaning I was raised in this industry where, you know, 50 hour work week, I say, oh, yeah, I worked 50 hours this week, to which the response yeah. would always be, oh, yeah, I remember my first part time job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember my first part time. So how are you? How do those conversations? It's emotional they happen. bullying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But listen, but there's you wore that like a like a badge of honor and I certainly did and still do to be perfectly honest and I think I when I when I work with certain clients um they they can tell that I was raised a certain way um when I came up into this industry. But 
and I'm not saying that that was right or or wrong. It just it was. Sure. But moving forward, talk to me about some of those conversations and specifically how things are how a, how a job description is changing, how a, yeah. how a compensation package is changing. I mean, literally, like on a on a client per client basis. Yeah, and and also just to add to that, it's interesting because we're now in this uh, interesting you know, crossroad where we, half of our clients maybe are the old school clients that still expect that. But then we have this new wave, right. Of millennial and, 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 you know, younger generations that are opening up restaurants and their mentality, as far as what a work, uh, life balance is, is totally different. So we have to cater to our audience, right. Depending on who we're talking to, we know, okay, this gentleman or this woman is going to expect X, Y, Z. We need to kind of guide them and kind of walk them through what, what a 2022 workforce looks like, right? Um, and again, quality of life, uh, life work balance, uh, diversity and inclusion, a lot of different things that maybe weren't big hot topics five, 10 years ago, right? Um, to answer your question, yeah, I think that, and even before COVID, we've always been uh, advocating for potential hybrid roles where there's not enough talent out there, guess what? Maybe it's time to loop two positions into one. Maybe your service manager is also the sommelier. Maybe your GM is, uh, you know, your beverage director, maybe, right? So try to help a little bit with your P&L as far as labor, where you don't have to hire two people. You pay one person a little bit more um, and still have a sustainable life, right? Where they're working, you know, five days a week, but having multiple job descriptions, um, that still make them very relevant in the restaurant. I think that as far as salary wise, um, yes, it is a competitive market and a candidate market right now. So obviously the salary ranges have gone up significantly clearly since 2020, but they've crept up a little bit since 2021. I think it's uh, this supply and demand issue as well, right? Clients know that they have to get bodies in there. They need to reopen or open up their restaurant that they've been sitting on for two years because of this drama. So they are willing to, you know, maybe pay a little bit of a premium to get the right person through the door. Um, benefits, time off, other perks that are non-monetary, I think are key. Uh, less, uh, I would say a couple of years ago where people were more mercenary, they would maybe go to another venue for another five or 10K on their salary, right? They were more about like the, the bottom dollar. Now it's more about a quality of life. Uh, is there an opportunity even on corporate level? Can I work one or two days from home, right? Uh, what kind of uh, benefits do I have? And before that wasn't really an issue. You were just, hey, if I get a bonus structure, I'm happy. Benefits, I'll figure it out, right? That we were kind of right. on our own to like hope that we don't get sick, <laughs> right? Now, yep. look what's happened, right? You get a sniffle and everyone's like, oh, COVID. <laughs> it's like you can't get away from it and everyone wants to have that coverage make sure that they're okay on the on the health benefits side so that is a bigger conversation now and it's definitely on the salary positions almost a must like you you have to have some kind of option for your employees nowadays so that leads me to my next question which is you know how much of this is going to be lasting change where mm -hmm. you know insurance is a is non-negotiable it's got to be offered we're you know, a healthy PTO structure, a bonus structure, yeah. uh, you know, we're a 401k. How much of this is going to be just expected within, you know, 
through the through this year and beyond? I really think this is here to stay, right? I don't think that uh, once you've retrained people and their brains, right, and gone through the interview process multiple times, and this is kind of the standard of what's being offered, it would be pretty hard to, for them to go backwards now, right? Uh, we've gone through this huge mess. No one ever thought that in one swoop like that, our industry could literally crumble. So we've seen it. There's no way we can go through this again. I, I don't really, I believe that there's no way the restaurants can be closed again at this point. Another round of this would be just disastrous. Um, so people are going to expect that moving forward and they're gonna make their decisions. Do I wanna go you know, work in hospitality or somewhere else? And they're gonna look at both baskets, right? And the other litmus test is look at, uh, you know, the culinary institutions, culinary schools, right? You know, I've talked to a couple of the deans and it seems like the enrollment, it's, it's not through the roof, right? It hasn't, you know, jump-started. Uh, if anything, it's it's gone down a little bit, right? So that's something to think about. Has hospitality become less exciting, uh, less of a career choice for people, a career path, and they're moving on to other things, uh, other disruptive sectors, uh, cryptocurrencies, who knows, right? People that, that have other options yeah. now that they didn't two or three years ago, right? That's a whole sector that didn't happen. Um, you know, we can touch on it briefly, but one of the verticals that we just launched is greenhouse HR. And that's exactly for this, right? Is for people that are in hospitality that maybe didn't have a career progression are looking for another, you know, way to, uh, stay, you know, guest focused, right. But not in hospitality. And that's the emerging cannabis industry, right. Which is going coast to coast. And a lot of the skill sets of hospitality employees Honestly, perfectly right over to a retail uh, dispensary type environment. So that's kind of what we're doing with Greenhouse. Yeah. So talk to me about that because I did want to get around to that. And this is as good a time as any to, to talk about it. So mm-hmm. talk to me about how, uh, again, what sort of prompted you to, to start that? When did it launch and, yeah. and specifically what you guys do there? Well, uh, why I did it was right after March when the world ended, <laughs> right? When our industry ended and after a couple of weeks, we had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of candidates in transition, right? At any given time, we'll have a couple hundred chefs, managers, sommeliers, you know, you name it, uh, corporate level in transit. Uh, they had nothing. They absolutely had nothing. We went, we dropped about 80% of our business on our agency. So we had to adapt to that, right? Uh, a couple weeks later, 420, good old 420, greenhouse HR. That was kind of the idea. Let's give it uh, our industry. And also selfishly, I was thinking about my team what, you know, my team needs help here. Like we need action. Uh, so this was another avenue to open up doors to the cannabis industry that was hiring like crazy. And it was almost like I went from illegal to essential, right? It was like cannabis dispensaries were booming, right? Uh, if anything, I mean, people were really stressed out, a lot of anxiety. So there were lines out the door. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where it started. And we made a couple placements and kind of made me think, okay, this actually has legs. We got hit up so hard by all our network uh, of people interested and wanted to hear more about it and what kind of avenues. And like I mentioned, uh, you know, a GM of a, you know, a two, $3 million restaurant that perfectly fit into a dispensary, doing similar numbers and guiding guests through an experience, inventory control, product knowledge, staffing, very similar to hospitality. So I thought it was a pretty seamless fit there uh since then i've joined up with a couple partners and we're creating it's more of a tech platform where we're going to do post-hire training as well uh background screening hr services 
and an actual job board where people can actually go in and look at all the different cannabis jobs available. Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution yet. It's called Pop Menu Max. It comes with the previous ingredients that you've heard me talk about on this podcast, right? Uh, Websites designed with SEO in mind, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, their patented interactive menu technology. Now, this new recipe brings automated phone answering, third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more, all of that to the table. So Pop Menu's phone answering technology has your phones ringing covered, right? No need to worry about it anymore. With AI, artificial intelligence, the simple questions that, that used to keep your, uh, your phone line tied up can now be handled without pulling a staff member off the floor from your in-person hospitality to answer the phones. No more missed reservations, no more uh, worrying about uh, if they know the hours or if you're missing revenue. And that's just the beginning. You have a passion for food, right? Pop Menu has a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. Now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry, and Pop Menu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. Now, for a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you get to lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. As always, that link is in the show notes. So then explain to me what about that? Because it seems like a lot of the things you just talked about on the, the greenhouse side would certainly benefit the the one house side. Is there anything about that industry that sort of informed the work you do with one house? I mean, I, I, if you're asking if it actually goes both ways, uh, if there's some potential crossover from cannabis over to hospitality, uh, possibly, uh, I think I always look at it from my product knowledge as far as uh, the sector that I know. So I start with hospitality. Where would a strong hospitality employee be able to adapt quickly and be able to make a difference in, a, in another sector, right? And again, they could work at a retail store, right? A clothing store. They could go to a bank and work at a bank and talk to people as well. Cannabis made the most sense for me. It's an exciting new uh, sector, right? It's something that we haven't had in the past before. I've seen it in other countries in Europe, right? Back in my old uh, stomping grounds. But here it is, right? And there's no stopping the green wave. It's happening. It's coming to New York very soon. Obviously, it's already on the West Coast and, and parts of the East Coast. So we feel there's a lot of synergy between both. And we feel we could leverage not only the network, but also our team. Our recruiters could actually be recruiting. On one hand, they could be doing a, a hotel general manager or, or you know, a restaurant HR director. At the same token, they could be working on a retail CFO or a retail manager working at a store. Yeah. So one of the things you just mentioned a minute ago uh, really stuck out to me when you talked about sort of, you know, uh, like staff development and uh, and career development. It's something that I find is really missing on the hospitality side that, you know, who becomes a manager? It's just your best server. Your best server, the one who's hung around long enough, becomes a manager. And maybe we show them, you know, a couple of tasks. We don't most... Most new managers aren't 
given sort of management training to yeah. to talk about leadership and how we and, and how we should be looking at the numbers and how we should be thinking about you know how those prime costs relate to revenue and all of that that seems yeah. to me like an opportunity moving forward absolutely uh in my view right and the way we think about it at one house investing in your team and your personnel it doesn't stop with us right we're the first step you're investing in a recruiter you're going to pay them you know a lot of dollars to find you a strong person that's that shouldn't be the finish line that should be the start right and then once they're onboarded and now they're your employee one you have to make sure that they fall in love with you and your culture right i tell my clients straight up my job is to find you the right talent your job is to keep them there right if they don't fall in love with what you're doing and you as a leader and you don't give them that upward trajectory and the training so they feel like they're getting better at what they're doing and they're getting value out of their job not just a paycheck then that's when people start looking and when they start looking that's usually when we start getting a phone call right um so it, it's really a full circle thing right you you have to make sure that you are motivating them and teaching them to get to the next level after a while you know humans just by nature right they're just going to start getting bored and demotivated and start looking around um so you do want to have that kind of stepping stone not everyone's up for it and as we know in our industry and you know forget about la and new york other areas as well they're doing it. That's their party money. That's their, you know, just paying my rent money. But no, I don't want this as my career. This is just fueling what I really want to do. And then you have your your lifers, the people with passion, with aptitude, and with a skill set. They want to move up into managerial positions. Eventually, the goal might be to run a huge restaurant group, or they might be to get an investor and open up their own restaurant. Right? Those are usually. The best. I mean, so the, the interesting thing about restaurants is that most of the people who work. You've just bifurcated it that way. And I think most of the people who work in a restaurant are on one side of the fence or the other, right? Yeah. Because we've had a low barrier of entry. I just got the job. It's my day job while I'm pursuing something else, while I'm at school, while I'm trying to audition, while I'm, right? Like whatever else, you know, you do. Or you've got the lifers, the people who have gone to school, who have committed themselves to making a career. And I think it's interesting that we try to create jobs um, that that uh, kind of appease both sets, and they're and they're very very different. So it seems to me like we got to move in one direction or the other. But in the meantime, how do we how do we support both of those people? And, and maybe this goes beyond. I mean, you've been in the restaurants long enough, so you've yeah. certainly thought about this. How, how do we how do we do that? How do we give the one side what they need so that mm -hmm. it fulfills what they're looking for, while at the same time uh, providing opportunities or providing things that yeah. the other side needs as well. I mean, I think it starts with setting clear expectations, right? And if I, you know, just to bring it down to a micro level, I guess, it, when I would do pre-shift and I saw my lineup, right, as a, just an example, and I had maybe 10 people in front of me and I knew who the three or four actors, musicians, well, you know, whatnot, right, and what they were looking for. And the other ones, they were, okay, this is actually a career. I'm going to be here for the next 10 years probably, and I'm going to try to make it up to management and get noticed, right, by, you know, my good behavior and my good sales and all that, and, and just being inquisitive. You could tell the ones that were asking questions because they cared, and the other ones were clocking in and out, trying to, you know, get the best check averages possible, and they were, you know, they did their side work and they would bounce, right? They were out of there in 10 minutes. Um, so, yeah, it's about setting expectations, seeing what – people's goals are and trying to set a course or a path or a skeleton, almost a timeline of how to get there. Right. 
uh, it's attention to detail, sitting down with each one of them, asking them exactly what they're looking for in this particular position, and then checking in with them continuously, not just a one and done after they're hired, and and match it up with right the path that you've created. Okay, are you hitting those marks or are you well below? Have you changed your strategy? You know, that's getting into it, right? A little bit more in depth. Um, but I, again, I, I really think that after the hire, it can't just be, you know, here's your apron, you're hired, this is your schedule, see you later. It has to be a little bit more of a relationship these days. Yeah. So, you know, moving forward, I think this is, I, I feel really strongly about this and, you know, uh, I had the great fortune in the first couple of jobs I worked when I moved to New York, I worked for organizations that sort of had this growth and this uh, staff development in place. And and what I came to realize over time is that uh, not, not every place did. In fact, most places don't. The pushback uh, to everything you just said there, and I agree with it, but I'm sure the pushback that some of the listeners are, are saying to themselves right now is that I just don't have the time to do that. I, I don't have the time to sit down with all of my staff members twice a year. I don't have the time to develop. A, yeah. I don't have the time. What's the response to that? I would be the same response to uh, the client saying, I don't have you know the money or the, or the, the desire to pay for a recruiter. Right. It's almost like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that technically that fee is going to get washed out. If you find the right person, you know, do you, can you afford having the wrong person in that GM spot? Right. Ask that question versus and having that continuous rotation and seeing all the people under that leader, you know, get demotivated and start leaving as well. Right. So it depends how you look at it. You know, it's really a long term view. Right. And if restaurateurs go into it expecting to last more than a year or two they want to invest just like they're investing in their you know the, the design and the architecture and all the r&d that they're doing with their food you know their main asset is their people at the end of the day their people are going to be making that food their people are going to be talking to the guests and making those loyal you know relationships for people to come back right a lot of marketing a lot of things might get people there one time but the people are probably going to make them come back so i would say you know long Long game is really invest in your people, right? Set aside a budget, make sure that it, it makes sense that you're investing them and they, they feel it, that they feel that you care, you know, for their uh, growth in the industry. I think so much of this comes down to the cost, right? And, and you sort of said this, right? Like people will look at the P&L and see the line item that says, hey, this is what I paid one house. That's a that's a real fee. That's a that's a real dollar amount that came off of, you know, my my bottom line. Yeah. And I think what's harder to see, right? And it's the same thing with staff development. Like, totally. Again, one of the first companies I worked for uh, was really great about we tasted wine every single night. The, the servers there, the captains there tasted wine every single night, seven nights a week. We opened up a different bottle of wine, talked through it, tasted it, you know, all of that. That that pays dividends over. We can look at the line item of, you know, staff development. Yeah. Every bottle of wine that we open has a cost because we're not, we're not selling it. That's no longer... You know, it's it's inventory that's not being. It's a loss. Yeah, yeah. it's a yield. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so, you can just see the cost of what it you know what it costs to open up a new bottle of wine every night. But you don't see the revenue that's generated because somebody now is more knowledgeable about wine. Because when you taste wine, if you work five shifts a week, you work taste you know yeah you know thirty forty wines over the course of a you know couple of weeks or a couple of months. Um, we don't see what what sort of dividends that pays. Um, table side and in, in check average it's intangible it's intangible because it's again the right strategy and the right education will create an employee that educates not upsells 
right? It's not going to be a salesy pushing this bottle, but more about educating them about the benefits of that bottle. And not only does that hopefully sell a bottle right at the table, but it also teaches the, the customer something, right? They're actually going to go away with some kind of knowledge. It's going to create more of a relationship, possibly some loyalty. So those intangibles, yeah, you can't put a dollar on that. I know my experience, even just for, if you go way back to my beginnings, right, of, of the industry, and, and I'll name one particular group, Houston's, which is now Hillstone. Uh, that's really where I started in, uh, in America. And I remembered it going there with my grandpa, you know, and he, we would sit at the bar and uh, we'd sit there for a specific day because they had a specific soup that day. And that's where we'd go. And I remember that restaurant. And when it was time for me to get a restaurant job before going to a um, hospitality school in Switzerland, I remembered Houston's and I said, Hey, I want to work there. So long story short, I ended up getting a job there. I was a server. They trained me so hard that I could only met and it stayed with me in my head. I went to school in Switzerland, finished my hospitality school. And I thought if they invested so hard, so much in me as a server, I'm just wondering what they would do to me as a manager. Like, what am I going to learn as a manager? And literally one step later, I'm getting an offer from Houston's to come to New York to run one of their restaurants and to be a manager in training for six months, right? Now, this is an exaggeration, right? A lot of restaurants forget it. Six weeks would be too much. But I'm in a chef coat for a couple months. I'm in, on the floor in the dining room. That kind of investment is why that particular chain, right, uh, is so well regarded. Incredible, um, you know, um, standards, right? It's uh, very similar every time you go, right? It's very consistent. And a lot of that, I think, is, is about the training, right? Yes, can it be robotic sometimes? Yeah, that's where your personality kicks in. But as far as investing in someone and getting those results and getting that seamless uh, experience, whether you're going to one in, in California or you're going down in, in Peachtree in Atlanta or wherever, you're getting that same vibe, that same consistency, that's training. So then... Right? Talk to me because there's plenty of people who are going to listen to this interview and say, oh, my God, this one house is exactly what I need. They're going to be they're going to be able to solve my problems. They're going to pick up the phone. They're going to call you. Yeah, they're going to be another good chunk of people that are going to listen and say, I, I wish. But my place isn't big enough. It doesn't really make much sense. I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So for those people, how do they start? How do they improve their recruitment? by just by keeping it in in house and i don't know if, yeah. if that's something you can speak to well um perhaps less right because that isn't something that comes to us but i do you know we're very empathetic with the groups that are maybe less volume and and maybe can't afford recruitment not just us just in general right and of course there's different agencies and different flat fee structures and whatnot but i think uh leveraging their own network social media aligning yourself with one or two strong job boards that do have results right there's maybe two or three decent ones out there that actually will give you some decent results um and and really just being consistent with it right and and looking at them a lot i mean you could spend a day or two without looking at the board and it's a whole new crew of people that are applying for jobs right so you have to be on top of it i would say more than anything urgency sense of urgency if there's someone you like streamline the process don't make this a three or four interview type of scenario make it a one and then a tasting if you're a chef or or one and two right with two decision makers get that offer within 48 hours and yeah and lock it up right now the market is so strong and i mean i will tell you what's happening to us is we probably lost maybe a dozen deals this quarter on people on final interviews that the client 
lagged maybe for three or four days, kind of dilly dallying to place an offer. And when they finally did, that person was already gone somewhere else. Right. That's the kind of market we're in right now. You like someone, lock it up. I've been kind of amazed watching operators work over the last several months, you know, just saying, you know, we can't find anyone, we can't find anyone, we can't find anyone, and not changing anything about their process. So I appreciate you talking yeah, about insanity. urgency, expediency, right? Like, you can't drag, it's a different market, it's a different sort of thing, and we have to evolve yeah. evolve with it. Um, and, and by the way, just to piggyback on that, it happens to us too, right? We don't have a magic ball, we don't have some room full of operators just waiting for us to handpick. It, you know, sometimes we have to assess what are we doing wrong? Why haven't we found the right person? Sometimes we have to go back to the client and reassess the parameters. You know what? I think we might be a little too low on the salary band or you know what? The expectations of this job, the job description is off, right? There's certain things that are just not right. And this is the feedback we're getting from multiple people, right? And we get that kind of uh confidence and power by talking to a lot of people right if eight out of ten people have the same comment about the client or their process or their job description it's our job to address that with the client in a diplomatic way but hey this is a wheel spin we're not going anywhere right we need to change some of these parameters guess what we need to start looking at a relocation we need to you know maybe split this job into two different positions whatever it is we're there to help you know, fix the problem, not just sit there and say, oh, sorry, we, we couldn't find anyone for you, right? It's back to you. So look into your crystal ball as we look forward and through the rest of this year and beyond. Yeah. You know, like you said, they're 20, 30% down, right? They're just 20% of our people, right? The people who worked in restaurants in 2018, 2019 are totally gone and yeah. never coming back. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's going to stay? Or are we going to have to continue to do more with less? Or do you think we're going to need to find a way to get either those people or other people back in so we can ramp back up to, to full speed. Mm -hmm. What do you think is, is the trajectory moving forward? Robots. We're going to be replaced. <laughs> no, uh, kind of kidding, but that's my next question. Not. You joke, but I want to ask you yeah, that before know, we go. The robotics, I think, uh, will play a part definitely in the QSR game, not so much in the high touch, finer dining or upper casual, but definitely in the QR QSR, there will be some uh, automation going on, and we've already seen some companies doing that, but that's not the solution, obviously. We're in the people business, right? We're in hospitality. Uh, if it's guest-facing and there's people serving, et cetera, yeah, you need to attract a whole new crowd, a whole new uh, generation, and make restaurants sexy again, right? Make it a viable career path for them. And how do you do that? By fixing what was wrong to begin with. Don't lean on COVID as an excuse. Well, COVID happened and now, no. What was wrong before COVID, right? Let's fix that. Let's make sure that we, again, are championing diversity, inclusion, uh, sustainable labor uh, practices, hiring practices, everything that's gonna make, uh, again, a diverse, healthy, sustainable workforce for everybody, right? This is really the reset button and there's no going back for it, right, uh, from this. So I think that's the answer. Uh, definitely training, investing in your people. I think retention's huge, right? It might sound like it's counterproductive for us, right? We don't want retention. We want people to call, but that to me, that's not value. That's not value driven. I don't want someone calling me back eight, nine months later for the same position. That makes no sense. So I want them to call me when they're opening their next restaurant because they're doing so well. Um, so yeah, I think it's a combination of retention, keeping the people you have, making them happy, attracting a new uh crowd and maybe that's you know through marketing and through outreach in sectors that would make sense 
try to bring them over to the restaurant side. And to a small degree, there's going to be a little bit of automation going on to limit at least some of the hourly positions. I think that's going to be in the future. Again, we're talking five, 10 years. Yeah, right? I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I think it's going to be uh, happen quicker than five to 10 years. And, um, and I, I think we're already seeing that and feeling that. But again, I want to come back. And, and one thing, though, one thing to add to that is let's not forget the good old ghost kitchen craze that happened the first couple months of COVID, right? We saw people scrambling. Uh, let me turn my restaurant into a bodega. Let me turn my restaurant into a ghost kitchen. You know, it's so many different, it was really survival kicking in for everybody. The ghost kitchen craze, um, yes, I think it's a good way for restaurants that have a footprint to extend it to a different place that maybe they didn't have delivery zones. You know, it was too far away, things like that. But that was one way to eliminate the front of the house altogether, right? Right there, you just killed your hourlies and a big uh, section of your salary positions. And now you're literally a dispenser. You're almost like, you know, getting food and straight to the delivery um, platforms, right? Which was another issue during COVID, right? They were the, also the ones that started raising their prices dramatically. And to some degree, over 30% of uh, revenue was going straight to the delivery platforms right yeah that was something that we saw yeah it's funny because i've talked to a bunch of people in real estate and the joke is right why would i pay 50 dollars a square mm -hmm. foot when 50 percent of my business comes from digital only so why not take a place that's less desirable yeah. since i'm still going to do a significant amount of business and i think the real estate market's really going to get upended in the next that's what's going to be the next five or ten years as all these long-term leases come up because people are going to realize like oh i don't need to do this yeah. or i can't afford to do this anymore or it's stupid to pay this yeah. Um, I want to go back and I want to talk about something because you were saying, I was asking you like for the future and you were saying, listing a whole bunch of things and I'm sure a bunch of the listeners are sitting here going like, everything you just said costs money. It sounds really expensive. Mm -hmm. So talk briefly because I believe that dining out is going to have to become more expensive. I think that's, yeah. um, I just work with too many people that say, well, I can't afford it, I can't afford it, I can't afford it. I said, well, then you, you have to pass on those costs. It's This is everything in, in our world, yeah. and we're we're so used to just cutting it to the, to the bone. Um, talk to me a little bit about restaurants becoming more expensive. Well, it's happening. We've already seen it. We've seen it in different iterations on your check, right, with a couple different percentages that you have to scratch your head and be like, what exactly are they, you know, charging me here? Right. It's like a percentage for staff wellness, a percentage for uh, front of the house, whatever, you know, they're wording it in different in different capacities. The, the ultimate thing is yes, that buck is going to get passed to the consumer. There's certainly a breaking point, right? You're going to get to a point where it's no longer a, just an average Tuesday night. Let's go to this dinner. It's more like, Oh, it's someone's birthday. Let's go to this dinner. Uh, and that's really the, the dangerous part, right? Where you're going to be cutting down your average, um, the consumer, uh, you know, actually visiting your restaurant, but your average check is going to have to go up, right? And that's going to alienate some people. So what does that mean? Fine dining is going to take uh, maybe a little hit, right? Um, upper casual, you know, restaurants that are a little, that are above a QSR mode, I think more people start going there if they feel like they can get a bigger bang for their buck, or at least they can go out two or three times a month instead of saving everything to just go out once, right? So many items are going to go up, and then you're going to have those percentages, uh, aside from tax, that are going to be very creative. You know, one of the, there was a great article that was written in the New York Times uh, pretty early on in the pandemic. I want to say it was like June or July of 2020. And they talked about how um, uh, there was an article about uh, uh, 
Australia, about how Australia was coming out of the pandemic much quicker than the rest of the world. And what they were watching is that dining in the middle was sort of disappearing and everybody was either yeah. running to more casual or more uh, more high-end, meaning that people were still going to need somewhere to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, closing deals, all of that. And people were always going to need food on the go, right? They were going to be running late. They're going to need a, yeah. a lunch. They're going to, all of that. But that you were going to have to think twice about everything in the middle because now there are a lot of different ways that we're getting served. And this is how I want to sort of bring back around this idea of uh, automation and robotics and technology being injected into this because I think if we still want to go out on a Tuesday night, it's gonna we're only going to be willing to pay a certain amount as a yeah. consumer for that. And so um, to me, that's where a lot of this comes into play. Um, like I think there's technology solutions like table ordering and kiosk ordering and changing the changing the structure. Like again, do we need ten waiters on the floor, or can exactly. we you know, start introducing technology so we can have four servers on the floor and they're actually engaging with the guests in a more meaningful way than yeah. in just a transactional uh, place? For me. That's where I see the future of dining that we just haven't wrapped our heads around because we say, oh, but we don't want to lose the people. We're a people business, blah, 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 rather than just looking at the realities yeah. of it just doesn't sustain itself. And the thing, I mean, I guess the first rule of business is staying in business, right? So, yeah, we love people, but guess what? We need to pay the bills. Uh, the two big killers, staffing and real estate, right? How do you how do you fix that? Well, we saw the migration of people leaving you know, primary markets going to secondary and tertiary markets, right? Years ago, this hasn't happened overnight. The Portland's, the Charleston's, you know, the, uh, all the Austin, Nashville's, all those places where people were like, you know what, I'm not going to pay 18,000 a month uh, in San Fran or in, or in New York. I'm going to move here and pay eight or nine, give myself a shot at survival, you know, and actually thriving. You bring in a cool concept over there, right? The price points are somewhat similar, maybe a little lower because it's a secondary market, but what you make up on the rent right there allows you to be, you know, to survive. Now, when it comes to the staffing, how else can you eliminate that? It is a high touch business, right? This isn't a, a vending machine, right? Yes, you can maybe cut some of the hourly, you know, but some of your big costs are really the managerial positions. That's the big hit on the PL, right? As we know, the hourlies are, you know, some, somewhat lower, um, costs, right? And subsidized by the tips and things like that. But yeah, that's really where some of these changes might happen, where you can shave some of that. Where can you make uh, significant cuts in your costs without the guests experiencing uh, suffering from that, right? And I think you made a really good point earlier in this interview, and I want to make sure to highlight it because I very much agree with this, which is this idea of um, you got to do more with less, that maybe your GM's also got to be your wine director. Maybe your service director's got to be a, a trained sommelier. Maybe you're, you know, utilizing people in in yeah. in different ways, I think is. But in a sustainable manner, though, I want to uh, iterate. This isn't, hey, you were getting paid 90K as a GM, but guess what? Now you're also doing the wine list. Pat on the back, goodbye. No, now you're doing the wine list. I want to incentivize you. We're bumping you to 110. You're going to have a you know, percentage or commissions on wine sales, something that they feel valued and they're not now getting shoved with a bunch of other stuff and getting nothing for it. Which again, this is from my personal experience, so many shifts that I worked extra that I made up for other people that weren't there, the blah, blah, blah. Of course, we didn't get paid for those. We didn't get extra pay. We didn't get anything. And if you, God forbid, you made a face, forget it. You were like, you know, ostracized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really sustainable way of doing things and, and 
for the benefit of them and for the benefit of the team. Yeah. Listen, Mike, this has been a great conversation. I, w- I want to be really respectful of your time. Um, before I let you go, tell everybody where they can go to learn more about you and uh, One House. Yeah. Well, you can go to One House. That's one dash haus.com one house uh you can check out our job board feel free to reach out to anybody there um obviously our team you know throughout the country wherever you are you can reach someone uh close to you and we can discuss what we have on the you know on the board and what ways we can help you perfect so uh, definitely keep in touch greenhouse hr same thing uh you can reach us online as well and uh if you're interested in the green side of things excellent and all those links will be in the show notes we'll make sure everybody uh can can get access to them uh final words of wisdom i know we talked about a lot a lot of really great insights i've really enjoyed this conversation um any final uh, parting words for the uh, for the listeners uh hospitality is alive and it's thriving and uh if you're thinking about it if you're on the fence jump in because it's a great lifestyle it's getting better it's certainly better than before 2020 and it's just on the rise right now there's a lot of great opportunities this is a great time to jump in with so many needs you can definitely get fast-tracked in your career um and there's a lot of great new concepts opening up coast to coast so it's definitely a good time to jump in if you're thinking about it amazing mike i really appreciate your time today thank you very much thank you cheers bye Again, I want to thank Mike for taking the time out of his day, for sharing his insights with all of us. All of those links are in the show notes if you want to go learn more about One House or Greenhouse or any of the work he's doing. One final reminder, two chances left to check this webinar, right? Given this webinar only two times today, Monday, April 4th, and two days from now on Wednesday, April 6th. Go to restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash webinar. I'm literally giving you my blueprint. Um, what, what do you need to do to turn your restaurant around in two months' time? If you covered a different area every single week for eight weeks, could you turn your restaurant around? I know you can. I'm going to give you the blueprint. So come join me. Restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash webinar. I appreciate you guys being here. I will see you on that webinar. Be well. <laughs>